0: All right, all right, hi, right, Good to see you. Time change Sunday. Hope you got some caffeine and Krispy Kreme in you. Uh, take your Bibles. Turn to Romans eight uh, in your Bible app or your Bible or whatever that is. We're gonna be there starting in verse twelve in just a uh, just a minute. Hey, first of all, let me commend you. I have heard in the last two months, I have had more emails of stories of God at work than I have. We've been here eleven years, and, and th- there's never been a two month span where I've gotten more emails about uh, just stories uh, uh, just about what God has done. Now, some of them are based on, we've seen in the last two months, uh, we've had the privilege at the different campuses to see 200, almost 260 people baptized in two months. And go ahead and put your hands together. That's great. The part I want you to know is probably 95% of those uh, when I hear those stories and read their emails, uh, one of you is mentioned. All right, You either were a friend who reached out to them, All right, you were a person on their ball club that, that invited them to church, you were a parent that modeled the gospel in front of your kids, whatever that is, man, great job. So God's doing a bunch of stuff uh, through you. And then also I've gotten a bunch of stories of God at work about what God's doing in you. Just stories of mountains that are being moved, whether that be habits that are being broken, whether that be uh, prodigals that are coming home, marriages that are being restored. I I have not seen that many answers to prayer before, again, at least that I've heard over the last two months. And it's in God's providence. We're in a little mini series on Romans chapter 8 because it's awesome when God is doing something through you. And then and Romans 8 talks a lot about that. It's awesome when you read about what God is doing in you. Romans 8 talks a ton about that. But Romans 8 really talks a ton about what God has done for you. And what God has done for you in the gospel is the springboard for both what he wants to do through you and what he wants to do in you. All right, so here's kind of where we are. We've been, uh, we started last week, we went through the first 11 uh, verses uh, about uh, of chapter eight and we're gonna go through less verses today. Uh, but what we looked at last week is, again, the first 11 verses, and you've got to understand Romans in itself is a very progressive, very uh, systematic letter. It used to be law schools would use them as a, a way to say, this is the model of how you argue something. And so basically before you jump into Romans 8, uh, the first five chapters of the book of Romans are in some ways the introduction to the gospel. It's about a holy God, it's about rebellious man, it's about a righteous savior, it's about substitutionary atonement. First two, verse, first two chapters are all about, it's all about, you know what, this is a holy God and we have offended him. We have offended him as we've rebelled against his love and against his law. There in about chapter three, it starts to segue in about verse 23, and it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But verse 24 is where the good news starts to come in, and it says, yes, you know what? But you are justified. You are justified as a gift through Christ Jesus, through the redemption of Christ Jesus. So awesome news. And then you get to chapter five, and it's kind of like the crescendo, and it's like, but God demonstrates his love toward you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that's like the first five chapters. In chapter 6, it starts to change a little bit from the fundamentals of the gospel to the implications of the gospel. And so in chapter 6 and 7 and 8, he's dealing with this main thing. Okay, listen, if the gospel is so awesome, if the gospel is so transforming, if the gospel is so amazing and Jesus conquered sin, how do I still struggle so much? How come I still struggle with some of the same patterns I had even before I became a Christian? How come I still say things I don't want to say, do things I don't want to do? How come I still fall to temptation so often? And so last week I used that analogy of the old Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde story by Robert Louis Stevenson. And basically Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, most of you know it, you might not have read it, but you at least heard about it. It's, a, it's, a, it's basically what Romans 7 is about. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Dr. Jekyll's a good, well-mannered guy you would love as a neighbor. all right. He was that guy. He was kind. He was compassionate. He was mild-mannered. He was that guy but he realized something's on the inside of him that was causing him trouble. And so he invented this potion so that it would only come out at night. And so during the day, he's Dr. Jekyll. Everybody loves him. But at night, he is this hideous, monstrous, murderous Mr. Hyde. And all during this, he would, he would come from the nighttime of being Mr. Hyde. he's like, why do I do that? I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I hurt those people. I can't believe I still struggle with that which is basically the way chapter 8 begins because at the end of chapter 7 the apostle paul of all people said you know what the good that i want to do i don't do the stuff i don't want to do i find myself mysteriously drawn to still doing that now hey church this is not some ethereal theological argument that's best kept in the seminaries this is where you live this is where i live and for some of you if things don't change if things don't change whether it be with a habit that you cannot seem to kick. It's kicking your butt all the time, and you're in this sin confess, sin confess, sin confess. What will break the chain of this defeat? What is gonna break the chain of this habitual sin that is destroying me? Others of you, it's like, man, what is gonna break the chain of all this marital strife that we're in? I mean, I say stuff to her, and I never thought I would say that to her, and then she does stuff to me back, and it's just like this cycle over and over and over again. So. Chapter 8 is uh, really where it all begins. And that's where it begins is, you know what, how do I change? How do I really change? And I'm not saying how do I change is a new subject. You just go down the street to Barnes & Noble, you'll see a whole section on self-help. All right, We're not self-help, all right? We're God help, all right? How does God God actually change us? Not for a day, all right, not for a week, not even for a season, but how does he continually change us from the inside out? That's Romans 8, or at least the first two chapters or the first two sections of Romans 8. So here's what I'm going to do. We're gonna walk through verse 12, and I'm gonna do my best to get to verse 17. Failed miserably in the first service getting there, okay? But we're gonna try to get there. I'm gonna try to edit on the fly as we go, because every every verse is like packed full of stuff but if you're new here here's basically what we do every Sunday all right besides so having some awesome worship and trying to do some ministry out in the community and all those things when we do, when it comes to the Bible basically what we do here is I like read a line talk about it try to explain what it means maybe tell a story illustrate it and then apply it and then we'll read the next verse and do the same thing it's just it's just Bible teaching okay and so my goal for you is whether we get through or not today is to be able to say you know what I can understand that okay I can do that I can read that I can understand that All right, you ready? All right, so here here it is. I'm gonna give you the uh, first point and then we're gonna go to the text. So here's kind of a summation of last week because the first verse of this section is gonna give us a summation. And here's the deal. How do I change? The first one you gotta understand is I respond, my change is a response to the grace that God has shown me. Let me show you how this works. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, so then... Brothers, now, so then it's highlighted. Now, let me be clear, those are my highlights. Those are my highlights to draw attention for you. Some of you have a red letter Bible, those red letters are not any more inspired or inerrant than the other letters. All right, it's all the same, it's all inspired, it's all inerrant. And in the same way, here, this is just my attempt to say this is kind of what we're going to hone in on in our short amount of time. And so, so then is a connecting word to the previous 11 verses, it's kind of like therefore. It connects it back, and here's what he says. So then, brothers, we are debtors. Some of your translations say we're under obligation. We are debtors not to the flesh. We talked about it last week. I'll talk about it again. To live according to the flesh. So let's talk about what those first, he says, so then. So then goes back to the verses 1 to 11, particularly verse 1 that says there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Now the flip side of that is if you're not in Christ Jesus, all that is left for you is condemnation. But what he's trying to say is listen, you gotta understand, no condemnation. Jesus was condemned and because Jesus was condemned for you, there is no condemnation, condemnation left for you. When Jesus says it is finished, when he said it is finished on the cross, guess what? That means it is finished. There's no more sacrifice to be done. And if you're in Christ, the word that we looked at last week is a theological word called justification. Justification, think about it justification means just as if you've never sinned. If you're in Christ and Christ is in you, God looks at you just as if you've never sinned. You're like, how does that even work? I My mean, connect group on Tuesday, man, we did, we got through one verse because they're all us sitting around our living room and you got CEOs and you got all these bosses and you got all these people and they're like stunned. They're like, you know what, what about I got to pay God back? And listen, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Like how does that happen? Justification, just as if I've never sinned. The way that works in the big picture is this, is if you're in Christ, the God of the universe, the holy, righteous, all-knowing God of the universe, looked at you and if you were in Christ, he banged a gavel and declared you not guilty. It's a legal term. It's him banging that gavel and saying, you are not condemned because all the condemnation that you deserved was put on my great son on the cross. And if you are in him and he's in you, when I look at you, all the righteousness that he had, all the good works that he had, the resume that he had, that got put to your account. That is unbelievable. It's not just, it's not that you and I are practically innocent. We're not. We're not. Man, we were on a bullet train to hell. We were not, we're not practically innocent. We were declared innocent because of what Jesus has done. That's the gospel. And so when he says, so then, based on that, he says, guess what? Why would you think you got to pay somebody back who hated you? You pay somebody back who loves you. He says, so then, we're not, we're not debtors for that. So um, one of the things we try to drive home here, and i, I got to say it again, is this, uh, uh, the, some of you grew up like this, and uh, there's a huge blessing of growing up in church uh, one of the ones that's not a blessing is maybe, you, I don't think it's ever taught this way, but it's caught this way if you're not careful. The way it's sometimes caught, particularly if in the Bible belt, is if you will, is basically this, that the gospel is how you begin the Christian life. Okay, You begin the Christian life, you realize, you know what, Jesus died for me, I'm a sinner, I embrace him through repentance and faith, and then I'm now a Christian, and so I'm gonna try to do good works from the rest of my days. Okay? And so the gospel was how I started the Christian life and then I got to go do some other stuff. And as it's been said in a hundred different metaphors, we got to get rid of that thinking. The gospel is not just, it's been said, it's not just the diving board into the Christian life. The gospel is the pool of the Christian life. And the way that you grow as a Christian is not learning all these six ways to become a better husband, four ways to be a better parent, five ways to be a better employer. It's understanding and diving deeper into the ten thousand step that Jesus took for you and then died on a tree for you. And the deeper you go into that, it changes your character. So for example, when you dive deep and you realize, you know what, man, how generous God was for me. He was so generous. He gave his life for me. Then that makes us more and more generous people. When you realize, you know what, man, he forgave all my junk and all this stuff and knew me hundred percent and forgave all of that. Then guess what that should do? Make us more forgiving a people. When you're sitting there and you're like, man, he was so patient with me. I heard the gospel 30 times before I ever responded to it. Then what should that do? That should make us more patient. And so, what we think are like marital problems and financial problems, they're really at its root, they're not. They're gospel problems. They're gospel problems. So, um, he says here, it's like, I got to understand that. I'm a not a debtor to the flesh. I'm no longer bound to it. I'm no longer obligated to it. And the old self, the flesh, we defined last week, it's that part of you that wants to please self and not God, serve self, not others. And it's still in you, but it's just not in control. The power's been unplugged. You're like, well, bro, I tell you what, power seems pretty strong right now. And so let's lay the foundation. It's a res- The way God changes us is we respond to grace. And so here's the question when you and I are being changed, or even when you sin, even when we fall, do you respond as a slave or do you respond as a son? What he's gonna drive home now is, do you respond with a slave mentality or a son mentality? And by the way, son is also sons and daughters, kind of like when when Paul uses the bride of Christ that includes the males, all right? When he says here, sons, in that culture, the son, the firstborn son got everything. And so ladies, listen, this is for you. If you're in Christ, you're a, the son, a son of God. Do you respond as a son or a slave? Verse 15, let me just skip down to that. This is like one of the most, the most mind-blowing verses uh, in the Bible. I told you, like, you ought to memorize, there's a handful of verses in here. Verse 1 is 1, verse 15 is 1. Check this out. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. What fear would be there? Maybe the performance trap performance trap. You know what? I didn't do great today. I didn't do great this week. I hadn't done great this year. Man, I tell you what, God's pretty ticked off in me. God doesn't really love me. Or if we don't do the performance trap, we do the pretending trap. The pretending trap is if it's all based on what I do, then I pretend everything's okay when it's not. It's like, "Hey, how you doing? Blessed and highly favored." Well, it looks like your world's on fire from what your friends say, but hey, it's all great. That's the fear. But you have received the Spirit of adoption, as what's that say? Sons. Let let that sink in a little bit. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now listen, Abba's not some hokey band from the '70s. That's not what he's talking about. Abba's a term of a, kind of. A, I know you've probably heard it, Satan. If you grew up in church, you're like Abba's like Daddy, kind of, but not really. It is a term of intimacy. But in that in that culture, that was a high honor culture. So there really was no place where somebody would look at his dad and go, Daddy, That's, they don't really see that. So it's a combination, it is a relational term, but it's also a term of confidence, all right? It's a term of confidence. It's kind of like my dad, so my dad was 6'4 and about 240 pounds. So I had this feeling all the time. It's like, you know what? My dad can whip your dad. That's basically what it is. If, if you start throwing hands, my dad is going to win. My dad can beat up your dad. So why, sh- why should I be afraid? Why should I be afraid? Have you seen my dad? Why should I be, rent? Why should I be afraid that I can't make the rent? Have you, have you, seen, have you seen my dad? Why should I be afraid of this trial that I'm going through? Have you checked out who my dad is? Why should I tremble and run away from him when I fail instead of hold up my hands and ask him to pick me up? Have you seen my dad? He loves me and he can pick me up. That's really the meaning. Is that the, way, is that the way you respond when you fail for the second time or the 200th time? You show me somebody who loves Jesus, who's excited about the faith, who's got a lot of joy in their life. They have some degree of understanding of the adopting love of God found in the gospel. Can I be honest with you? 11, uh, 11 o'clock service at Arden. You're the last one of the day, okay? I don't struggle with the forgiveness of God. I I can look at the cross, can read the Gospels, or it's like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I know that that's you know the point. All my sin, all my rebellion, all my shame was laid on Him. Okay, so I don't really struggle with okay, does God forgive me? Because again, I can look at I can look at the cross. My default is I have a hard time believing that God really enjoys me right now to the degree or with the emotion that I enjoy my kids. Um, our firstborn's name was Tyler, is Tyler Frank, Tyler Bruce Frank. We I gave him my middle name just because I'm vain and I just thought, <laughs> it was awesome. So. Um, Here's what here's, here's It's like, but he was born in Fort Worth, Texas. And I still remember, man, we are sitting there and we never, you know first born, we didn't know what we were doing. I, Lori, and I remember thinking, you're going to let us take him home. I mean, can you come with us? I mean what We don't know how to, We don't know what we're doing. But man, I remember those first few weeks were just, I remember holding him and I remember having so many, and there's a love for your kids that is different. Now, don't email me. I understand our love for our spouse, we prioritize our spouse and then the kids, okay? That's biblical. But there's some kind of love for your kids that is different than your love for your spouse. And I remember holding that little boy and thinking, man, this is amazing. This is my son. This is my son. This is my namesake. Man, somebody, I felt like, man, I could, I could hurt somebody if they ever hurt him. Man, I could do prison ministry from the inside if somebody actually hurt him. That's what I was, I was thinking. But at that time, at that time, at that time, at that time, that little boy hadn't done jack for me. At that time, we hadn't had a conversation. He hadn't given me any Father's Day socks. He hadn't painted a little watercolor pony to put on the refrigerator. He hadn't. He hadn't made an A on his report card. He hadn't done anything except cause me issues. He cost me money. He cost me. He, it used to be the weekends, it was like Lori and I, hey, let's go to, sure, let's go to Krispy Kreme at 11 o'clock at night, that's awesome, but now you got a newborn, it's like, you're not leaving anywhere, man, you're just changing diapers, and then you got to buy stuff, you got to buy stuff and it's expensive, and you go to Ikea, I mean, which I'm, Ikea is the Greek word for from the pit of hell, I'm quite convinced, it definitely is, all right, you got to put that stuff together, all of that stuff, so here's the point, the point is this, listen to me, listen, listen back to me. Do you respond to him like a slave or do you respond like a son? You're like, well, I hadn't done a whole lot for God and I hadn't been really close to God. That's not, we're going to get to that. That's not the point here. You're changing and God forming your character is a response to, it's not a response to your performance, it's a response to Jesus' performance on the cross. Every reason he has to be putting you under condemnation was put on Jesus as he was condemned. And the more you and I get saturated in that, that is the baseline of how our character is changed. And it's, this runs its, we could spend the whole time just on this. But for example, we always talk about if, if, you, if you have a, if you're a slave versus son, you run from God when you fail. But if you're a son, you run to God when you fail. Because if you don't understand sonship or daughtership, what happens is you fail and you run from God in shame. If you understand I'm God's daughter bought with a price, fully known and fully loved, then when I fail, instead of like, oh, no, my dad's going to find out, I say, oh, yes, I got to run to my dad. Totally different. That's why Proverbs says, the righteous, they might fall seven times, but then they get up. Other times... uh, you just think, oh, you know, I obey to be accepted. I obey to be accepted. This is, uh, before we move on, every religion in the world teaches that. You understand that? Every religion in the world teaches if you obey enough, you will be accepted. The gospel flips that on its head and says this. It says that, you know what, you are accepted because of what God has done. Totally different. The gospel changes us That saying, you know, by telling us God loves us and accepts us first, then invites us to love him in return. And some of you need to hear that. Because again, I've, I've been doing this a long time. So I understand some of you, it hadn't been a good week. I mean, you love Jesus, but your walk is cold. Half of you had a, you might have had a fight on the way here uh, with your spouse and you just, you had a bad week. Maybe some of you had an immoral business trip, whatever it is. And here's what you got to understand. If you're in Jesus, what you've got to understand is this, because of Jesus' performance and because of his activity on the cross, Jesus and they, he could not love you anymore. He couldn't love you anymore based on if you had a great week, and he couldn't love you any less if you had a bad week. And so, again, the point would be this. Uh, you struggle with temptation, you struggle with depression, you struggle with pornography, you struggle with being a good husband, you struggle with being a good mother, you struggle with consistency in your walk. God could not love you more. Why? Because his love and acceptance of you is not conditioned on your performance, but is a gift given to you in Christ. If you don't understand that, all the change you're trying to make is just going to be mechanical, religious change that lasts no longer than a New Year's resolution. All right? So let's let's uh, let's kind of go to the next one here. And this this next one is this. Let me read the verse, and then we'll go to the point. This is where you're like, wait, so what do I have to do? I mean, I got to do something. I got to do it. I'm a type eight on the enneagram. I got to do something. All right, I got to do something. Okay, here's what it says: For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. You will die. But if by the Spirit, in other words, if you live by the Spirit, then here's what you do: You put to death the deeds of the body and you will live. The word live there is where we get our word zoo from. You'll have life, you'll have abundant life, you'll have this, it, it, fill in the blank. So um, here's the point, uh, is this. Uh, we respond to God's grace, but you do need to take some specific action. There's some things God's wanting you to do. And so like, what, what might that be? Uh, let me let me give you one more theology term and then we'll go. Uh, we'll go to the next thing, not go. We'll just go to the next thing. So justification, justification and adoption. Those are that, That's what God does and it's in a moment. What he starts to talk about here and what you and I play a part in is what is called sanctification. Sanctification happens when you come to Christ. It's that moment from when you came to Christ until you go to heaven. Okay, It's that time where God begins to change your character for your joy and for God's glory. That's what sanctification is. It's what he uses when you and I take steps of obedience to make you the woman God wants you to be, to make you the man your family needs you to be. That's called sanctification. And so when he talks about here, he talks about taking some specific action. He says, behavior or action, and you will live. Now, um, I'm going to make it easier, but if some of you theological nerds, you're going to need this. If you're like an old Puritan reader, they used to call the two terms you're going to see in this text called vivification and mortification. Vivification is just like what gives you life. Mortification is what do you need to shoot in the head, okay? What do you need to kill? We're just going to make it easier. We're just going to call what do you need to feed and what do you need to weed? Weed and feed. What do you need to weed and feed? So um, when it talks about this, what stirs up your affection, what stirs up your gratitude uh, for Jesus. Because it's not going to happen. Some of you are like, you know what? I've, uh, I want to be a better man. I want to be a better student. I want to be a better wife. I want to be a better whatever. I want to be closer to the Lord. I want to be back where I used to be. Hear me on this. Your intention does not change anything. Intention is not as good as direction. Your intention, you can like, well, I intend... To drive to Charlotte. But if your direction is going to Franklin, it don't matter how much you intend to get somewhere, you're going the wrong way. So none of this is going to happen by accident. It's not going to be happened by accident. I'll just, let me say this. Uh, we've lived in neighborhoods throughout the years. In some of those neighborhoods, there's been a lot of attention placed on the yard of the month. Right, Yard of the month. If you're into that, man, I'm. God bless you, all right, if you're into that. And so that's awesome, all right? And I kind of got into it one time. I got into it one time. I'm not going to tell you where we live, but uh, I got into it, and I thought, I'm going to get the yard of the month. I'm going to get the yard of the month. And that thing was rigged because I got second place. I got second place, and it's like some loser down the road. It's like, oh, really, really? You got your rose bushes? Whatever, okay, whatever. You're the head of the HOA. Deal with it. So here's what, one thing about whether it be my yard or his yard. Neither of our yards got looking good by accident. Nobody walked past our yards like, man, it's just, that's amazing. Just by circumstance, your yard got green. It got trimmed. The roses b- burst out and the monkey grass was cut and all this stuff. No, it happened because I'm going to make some choices to cultivate certain things. And sometimes it's, it's feeding something, feeding. He says, if you live by the spirit, that's, what do I feed? So let me ask you the question again. What is it that stirs your affection, your gratitude, your love for, for Jesus? If you're Christ follower, what is it that makes you go? Man, I, re- I feel like a stronger person when I'm around these people. I'll tell you mine, okay. Uh, I can give you five or six, but here's three. One of them is obviously, obviously, I mean, I'm a Bible guy, all right. I've been, I'm, I'm more excited about this book than I've ever been in my life, and I've been studying it for I don't know how many years. And I'm like, I feel like, especially even in Romans 8 1, I'm like just scratching the surface. So, obviously, the Bible, um, worship music does that for me, all right. So, I got a little. I got a decent sound system in my truck, and I will crank that thing pretty high. All right, 20, 21, till it starts to like vibrate. And you can feel it in your chest. All right, you feel it's good. It's good. Um, sometime it might be something like, uh, you know, hunting. Maybe that's all right. A couple weeks ago, very restorative time. A couple weeks ago, I got invited on a hunt. You're like, well, nothing's in season. Did you? Hey, I went to Texas, so everything's in season there. So uh, we. Uh, <laughs> I didn't do anything illegal. All right, don't be embarrassed. I didn't do anything illegal. You're like, well, I don't, I don't think you'd hunt. I'm just, I'm obeying the Lord. All right, he says, kill and eat. It's right there in the Book of Acts. So, sorry, Peter, we're just, I'm just, that's who I am. So, uh, so here's what we did. One of the most restorative times. It's going to be an awesome week of emails this week. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. I got up there, and one of the things we were hunting, and they, they, the, one of the evenings, because it was like striking out in the morning, and then the evening, I'm like, oh yeah, the evening, in the morning, and then I got to get on a plane and come back. And so that evening they put me over here and everybody else pushed this way to trying to do it. Man, I sat up there for two hours. on a bulldozer is kind of a makeshift blind and everything for two hours. Phone off, and birds singing. It's not deer season, but all these deer came by. I resisted the temptation. All this stuff. And it's like it was so restorative for two hours. No phone, just had to be still, had to be quiet. And that's that's restorative. No matter who you are, you gotta have one of three things. You gotta have actually all three of these. You gotta have some Bible time you got to have some Bible time. There's nobody in here that's going to be fired up for the Lord if you don't have any time in this book. I'm not talking about just Sundays. As I said earlier, my goal for you or my goal for me, every sermon, the overarching goal is for you to go home and go, you know what, I could have done that. I see that right there. If you're ever like, I don't even see that in the text in there, that I'm doing it wrong because I want you to go, you know what, I can do that. Some of you come from real liturgical backgrounds and you got taught, the professionals do this only listen, the teacher of Biltmore Church is the Holy Spirit of God. He's the one that teaches, whether it be me, whether it be Marcus, whether it be a guest preacher, it's the Holy Spirit. All we can do is just kind of present it to you, but God, the Holy Spirit, is the one that's actually going to take it and apply it. So you got to have some Bible time. You got to have some God time, some prayer time. Just talk to God. And then three, you got to have some people time. Some people time is I'm either serving people or I'm with people. There's a four or five guys around the area and around the country. Uh, when, I'm, when I'm around them, I walk away from them like, I feel like being a better husband. I feel like jumping in God's word. I feel like being a better preacher. Those are stirring up and feeding me. And uh, the other thing, though, he says this he says, You got to put to death, put to death the deeds of the flesh. So let me be real serious with you. We talked about it a little bit last week, and let me. If you get, I want to scare you here for a second. Last week we said the flesh was that part of you that is still in you, even when you come to Christ, that's still in you, that once again wants to serve self, not God, wants to love self, not love other people, is drawn to sin. Instead of drawn to God. You need to understand that sin in you is a apex. Predator. First Peter chapter 5, the Apostle Peter says, it says, Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So if I told you, hey, outside of this campus, when you go past the Krispy Kremes, right outside that door, I don't know where he is now, but there is like a full-grown African lion outside, good luck, it would change the way you leave church today. It would. It would change the way you wouldn't be frolicking out there checking your text or whatever. You'd be like, Where is he? Where is he? You would, at minimum, look for somebody who looks slow so you can get by them because you know you can run faster. Either way, you're like, Man, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not messing with that. And what you got to understand is that's what the Bible warns us about. Have you ever, uh, this is like true confession for preacher day to day, but when you ever see that when animals attack, when animals attack. Deep in my heart, nine, not every time, nine times out of 10, I'm rooting for the animal. You know why? Because some of those people are dumb. They're dumb. They are dumb. Every once in a while, it's a bad situation. Nine times out of 10, here's what happens. And you're like, when is this ever gonna stop? They're like, yeah, they kept a pet. They kept a pet grizzly bear. And they raised it from a cub. And then they raised her from a cub, and then now it's like seven feet tall and like a thousand pounds. But you know, and then all of a sudden turns on her and eats her. And then the neighbors say the same thing. The neighbors are like, Well, you know, we knew she had kind of a weird habit, and uh, we knew that she kind of raised grizzly bears, but we're shocked. We're shocked. We're shocked that the grizzly bear ate her. Why are you shocked? Why are you shocked? I mean, Bears are going to do what bears are going to do. That's what bears do, okay? And the thing turned on her. I thought this would get through to our people. I thought it would get through to our people. But apparently I came across some pictures this week and it really depressed me because, well, let me just show you. This is, uh, okay, okay. Now this is this is one of our worship pastors. He's over at the West Asheville campus. His name is Logan Hammond. And he's on an end of a mission trip and they went by some, he called it a petting zoo. It's like He called it a petting zoo. I'm like, you know what? If I had guns like that, I'd probably be taking a picture by a lion too. But I'm like, that's not Photoshop. He's petting a lion. He's petting a lion. He's petting a lion. Now that lion might be ambient up, but that he is petting. He's petting a lion. All right, let me show you one more. This impressed me even more. Look at that. That's Christian Cooper. He puts half our mission trips together, if that makes you feel any safer. All right? (laughs) Christian Cooper. That's a real tiger. Christian Cooper can't weigh 140 pounds. This Paul weighs 140 pounds right there. One little shoe. Christian Cooper, man, Ashley Cooper's a widow. That's what happened. What happened? Well, he was leaning on a tiger, and then it went bad. What do you say? Now we laugh at this. Listen to me. So many of us, we try to tame our sin. We try to pet our sin. We try to groom our sin. Because we want to go back to it when we need comfort and when we're anxious. I'm just going to go back to my sin. And so we pet it. We try to make it behave. We try to make it act nice. And then one day it turns on you and you're like, well, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. I don't know why I did that. I don't know why I had this fallout. I don't know why my family left me. I don't know why I got fired. I don't know why X, Y, and Z. Because sin's going to do what sin's going to do and sin is an apex predator, and it is very patient, and it can wait for years, and you're grooming it, and I raised it from a cub, and I did all that, and what the text is saying is you don't play with sin. You don't try to tame sin. You don't pet sin. You don't groom sin. You try to kill sin is what you try to do. You're like, well, what what does that even mean? What does that even mean? i gave you a bunch of examples, but for time, let me give you something I read a couple years ago. I think I probably read twice over the years. And this kind of talks about mortifying the flesh. This is called choosing to change in five days. I don't know the source, but every time I've read it, people are like, can you send that to me? Here's what it says. Day one, I went for a walk down a street. I fell into a hole. I didn't see it. It took me a long time to get out. It's not my fault. Day two, I went for a walk down the same street. I fell in the same hole. It took me a long time to get out. Why did I do that? Day three, I went for a walk down the same street, I fell in the same hole, I got out quickly, it is my fault. Day four, I went for a walk down the same street, I saw the hole, I walked around it. Day five, I went for a walk down a different street. I can't handle it when I go down that street. Every time I go down that street, I feel something sucking me down that hole and I'm not going down that street anymore. I don't like what happens on that street, and when I get there, I can't handle it, and so I don't want sin to rain in my body, so I'm not going down that street anymore, and so specific action that some of you might need to take is not necessarily black and white issues. That's stuff we all got to do, it might be stuff that might or might not be wrong for somebody else, but it's wrong for you. You know, I, I saw a few good men the other night, and I love that little scene where Jack Nichols is like, you can't handle the truth. You know what? There's situations that you got to be able to look in the mirror and say, I can't handle that right now. I can't handle that right now. And so I have to kill that flesh that just can't handle that situation. For some of you, it is uh, for some of you it's relational. Every time you get around those people, you hate what happens. You dishonor God, you disrespect yourself, you hate the way it happens. You're like, yeah, they're my friends and you tell us we're always supposed to reach out to them and love them and I'm a missionary where I live. Listen to me, sis, you can't handle that right now. You can't handle that right now. And so you right now, at least for the time being, listen. Every time I go down that street, this is what happens. Stupidity is like, well, I'm gonna go down that street again. Wisdom is I can't handle that street right now, so I'm not gonna go down that street, I'm gonna go down a different street. Why, because God loves me and he, he, wants, he wants me to have joy and he wants his name to be honored, so I'm gonna go down a different street. For others of you, it's just situational. Every time you go on a business meeting or a business trip without any accountability, without anybody else on the trip, without anybody checking on on you, that business trip goes poorly. You do stuff on a business trip you would never do while you're here with your family. You do stuff, you're like, I can't believe I did that. I tried to break that. And here's the deal, get some accountability. Take somebody with you. Have somebody call you on the phone going, hey, I'm just checking up on you. How are things going in Daytona? That's just accountability. you like, well, that seems kind of weak. We are weak, okay? We are weak. We are weak. It's like, well, that sounds like a crutch. Yeah, having a crutch, having the crutch of the gospel is a lot better than walking around, hobbling around, Where you like, hey, what happened? You got no legs. Well, yeah, but I don't want a crutch. Really? Or here's another one, just habitual stuff. You're like, yeah, you know what? Anytime I'm staying up late with the computer, you know, bad stuff happens and bad stuff. Oh, here's a thought, here's a thought, here's a thought. Put a filter on there. Do covenant eyes on there. Do something, why? Because you can't handle that street. So make some specific choices. Uh, we don't have time to unpack this last one. I do want to show it to you before we close up. And this whole thing is connected to a person. Now, people argue about whether the theme of Romans 8 is assurance, is it freedom, or is it the Holy Spirit? People argue about that. You're like, I don't argue about it. I'm talking about commentators. They argue about it. It's assurance. It's freedom. It's the Holy Spirit. And it is true that the Holy Spirit's mentioned 17 times just in chapter 8. I would say it might be safe to say it's the Holy Spirit who actually brings us freedom and assurance. That's that's the ticket I'm playing. And so realize your change has to be connected to a person. Again, we don't have time to unpack this completely. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He is not an influence. He's not the force. It's not Star Wars. Biblical orthodoxy is the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. There's one God and three distinct persons, all right? We get released from the penalty of sin by the blood of Jesus. We get empowered to conquer sin by the resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit. So look at verse 14 and 16 and then we'll start to head toward home. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now the word led there, a lot of people get some crazy stuff on the Holy Spirit. They're like, well, I got led by the Holy Spirit to do and they'll do some crazy stuff. The Holy Spirit will never contradict the scriptures, okay? I've heard, I've heard crazy stuff. Man, the Holy Spirit spelled in my alphabet soup that I'm supposed to divorce my wife. And it's like, really? I don't think that was the Holy Spirit. But anyway, here, uh, here's verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So let's just make this super, super, super practical. When you're led by God, it's in the context, it's my character being changed to look more like Jesus. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about change. If you think of Jesus as being like super sad and all that stuff, you know, when you look at the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5, those nine characteristics, Jesus was the perfection and the personification of all nine of those. And we look at those nine and we're like, man, I wish I had some of that. I wish I had some of that. So think about it this way Jesus was like perfect in all nine of these love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Okay. Love and joy, anybody in here going, you know what, I don't really want to be a more loving person. Anybody in here go like, yeah, I got too much joy. Got too much joy, don't need any more joy in my house. No, We're like I want that. So here's the question about, are you being led in that change? Are you a more loving person than you were five months ago? Do you love more people? Do you love them longer? Do you love different types of people? How about this? Do When I look at those nine characteristics, is any of that stuff changing in me? Now don't be discouraged. A lot of you are new believers and you're like, I, I, don't, I don't see the change happening fast enough. God changes our character, not overnight, but over time. Let me say it again. He changes our character, not overnight, but over time. And so sometimes you don't see the change in yourself, but other people can see it, because you see you every day. It's kind of like when your kids are growing up, when they're young, and you're like, you don't see them growing. It's not like you see them on Tuesday and then Wednesday at the breakfast table, you're like, man, you've grown a lot since yesterday. You don't see that. But somehow, six months later, your boy who had some jeans you just bought, and you're like, Dave, what are you wearing capris for? I mean, we don't wear capris in this household. Why? Because he has grown so much. So again, it's not over, it's not overnight. It is over, it's over time. And so the whole point is, am I looking a little bit more like Jesus each day? You want people to say, you know what? You look like, you look, don't any 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 dad, any dad loves for somebody to say, "Man, your son looks just like you." Your son looks just like you. I'm gonna give you a picture. Here's a, here's a last picture I'm putting up here. This is a picture from like way back, way back. Um, when I first showed some people that picture, they said that looks like Tyler. Tyler's our firstborn. Looks like Tyler. Now part of, that's actually me about 40 pounds ago. Okay, that's me. That's me at a buck 80. That's that's me. And I was "I know what Tyler weighs right now." You know what Tyler weighs right now? 180. This is Tyler right now. They're not right now. This is Tyler back then. This is Tyler back then in his little walkie thing. That's the that's that's awesome cutlass salon right there. It was like big old V8, four barrels, pretty awesome. And then that was, uh, who was that? That was second greatest dog in the world named Joshua. Okay, Second greatest because the dog who woke you up, Ranger, is the greatest, day, uh, greatest dog in the world. Um, <laughs> the goal is this. Am I loving more of what Jesus loves? Am I hating what Jesus hates? Am I seeking what Jesus seeks? Am I doing what Jesus does? Here's the way it works practically, and then I'm going to lead you in a prayer. When it comes to the person of the Holy Spirit, there's two descriptors in other places, and I'm going to give these to you quick. And this will tell you what you have to do as far as cooperate with. One place in the Bible says, do not grieve, I think it's Ephesians 4, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God in whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Grieve, is it's a love word it's a word lupeo which is the idea of family it's like you would never say that about it's like what you feel at a funeral it's like man I, you don't grieve people you don't know it's a it's a it's i i'm mourning over this and it isn't it amazing that you and i actually have an ama- we have the ability to actually cause grief to the third person the trinity that's amazing in and of itself like how would i do that how would i do that we grieve somebody, we grieve the spirit by doing things he clearly has said not to do. So he's like, "Why are we here? Why are we watching this? Why did you say that? Why are we with these people? Why are you going this direction?" That's grieving the Holy Spirit. But on the other side, it says don't quench the spirit, and that's refusing to do something that he does want us to do. Okay, I'm going to cheat. I know this is cheating, but I'm going to cheat anyway. I love it when you tell me stuff in the lobby. I love it when you tell me stuff in the lobby. And I, I'm never going to use it specifically unless I ask your permission. But conversations in the lobby after the service often go this way. God told me this today, and it's, you're fired up about whatever it is. The Lord spoke to me about, and you fill in the blank. It runs the gamut. The Lord spoke to me today about I need to get baptized. The Lord spoke to me today about I need to be generous and sponsor a couple of compassion children. The Lord spoke to me today about I need to forgive my wife. The Lord spoke to me today about I need to make a phone call and make things right with my mom or just, you know, run the gamut. Half the time it's not even what I preached on. And then I might see you like a month later coming into service and was hey, how did that conversation go with your mom? Uh, hadn't picked up the phone yet. Hey, I missed a couple Sundays. Did you get baptized? Well, I'm still praying about it. Hey, how'd that conversation go with that person that hurt you? Well, I'm still kind of thinking. He kind of ticks me off still. Please hear me on this. That's called quenching the Holy Spirit. That's quenching what he wants to do. You want to throw gas on your walk? Then just do what he wants to say. He's like, man, You say some words to somebody, words you should not have said, but you say them, the Spirit of God convicts your heart, says go, tell her you're sorry, go make it right, humble yourself. And those rational, no, no, she was the first one. She should apologize to me. And he's like, no, humble yourself, humble yourself, make it right, be the first person. You're like, I'm not doing that. You know what that is? That's just like water on the fire. But if you're like, I am gonna humble myself and I am going over there and right after this service is over, I'm gonna go ask their forgiveness or I'm gonna go say, you know what? You no longer owe me or whatever that is. It's like pouring it's like pouring accelerant on your walk. So let's just let's wrap it up. This. Anybody in here? God honest truth. If there's anything that God in the last two weeks has specifically said, here is something, here's something that I'm working on and I want, I'm in the process, I'm in the process of changing. Anything specific, just kind of, I'm not going to ask you what it is. I'm not going to ask you to put it on a rock. I'm not going to ask you to walk forward or anything like that. But just, is there anything specifically in the last two weeks, last week or today, just raise your hand. It's like, you know what? There's some, there's a couple things that God wants to change in me. Just kind of raise your hand. Come on, man. Are you kidding me? The rest of you, I'll go ahead and fill your blank okay? Unteachable. That's what that is. You're unteachable. Are you kidding me? There's not one attitude. There's not one action. I guarantee you I can ask some of you married spouses, like, is there anything that God wants to change in him? All right? I can ask that question, and they would say yes. So, all right, let's do this. Go ahead and stand to your feet. Go ahead and stand to your feet. Stretch a little bit. Stand to your feet. And I'm going to ask you to one more time, I'm going to ask you to do this for a reason. If there's anything that I'll put it even I'll put it on the lower shelf. Is there anything you feel like, based on anything you know in all of Christendom, that God might just possibly might want to alter slightly in your life? Kind of raise your hand and keep it up. Okay, you know, yes. I'm. I'll, I'll. If grace doesn't work, guilt does. So, um, <laughs> here it is, right here. So I want you to keep your hand up for this reason. I want you to keep your hand up because in about. 15 seconds, your hand's going to start to ache a little bit. And I want that to be a reminder that your good, your New Year's resolutions, your strong will, your determination, that hadn't helped so far, right? If you don't say, you know what, i got to respond to grace. i got to respond to grace with some specific action in cooperation with the Spirit of God. That's what's going to change me. That's what I want you to do. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray this prayer, and you're going to help me with it. So I'm just going to read it kind of like a wedding but you're gonna read it right with me. I'm gonna give you one, two, three. We're gonna read it together. I'm gonna pray for you and then we're done, okay? So one, two, three. Help me, God. Thank you that your grace towards me is not based on my activity, but Christ's activity. Truly change me for your glory and my joy. I know you want to and I know I need you to. Thank you that with your spirit, things can be different. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Jesus. We can put our hands down. All right, put your arms down. Let me pray for you. God, thanks for these men and women here and for the glory of God and the fullness of our joy. Our prayer is that you would change us as people. We've seen so much life change, but oftentimes we're sitting there like a spectator watching all these stories and all these baptisms and all these video testimonies and all this cheering and excitement and joy. And we're like, man, I'm missing it. I'm missing it. God, I pray there's not a person in this room, in this service that you would not prompt specifically during the, just the remainder of this day. God, give us some specific things that you want us to cooperate with you so that you can change us for the glory of God and the fullness of our joy. God, we love you. Thanks for the grace in which we get to swim. Thank you for the gospel in which we get to just navigate life. God, I pray for those that are here and it's like they don't know what it's like to have no condemnation. They feel condemned that today would be the day that, you know what, they say, you know what Jesus did on the cross, somehow that counted for me. And right now I'm turning my life to Jesus and Jesus alone. And God, you would give them that sense of freedom as well as fellowship with some other believers. They would encourage and exhort and cheer them on in this brand new life. We love you, and we pray it in Jesus' name.